2018 has been a bit of a banner year for us here at the Terminal Mile. If you'll indulge us for just a second, this was the year that saw us grow our audience by nearly 10,000 listens. I was there and got to participate in three different national championships. We launched the Terminal Mile Cup, Distance Medley Relay that saw some of the good friends of the show race for some really great trophies. We put on Something in the Water, a look at the Speed River and University of Guelph track and field teams that aired via the very exciting Sidious Mag, and we celebrated episode number 100. All this while covering the here and now of Canadian distance running, Cam Levins with the Canadian Marathon record, Rachel Cliff with the half marathon record, and an incredible debut in Berlin, Matt Hughes really returning to form in the steeplechase, and countless other incredible accomplishments. So here we are, at the end of 2018, really wondering where we can go from here. As you've probably noticed, the frequency of the podcast has gone up to now be a weekly show. As for other changes, they're likely to be coming in the following weeks as well. Right now though, let's take a look at this week's episode. This week, we're taking a look back at the year that was, with a little bit of help from our friends. Adam Stacey, founder of Tracky.ca, Alex Sear, author of Runners of the Niche, Jeff Gosson, you know him as our in-house run pundit and National Marathon Championship bronze medalist, and we'll even hear from Steve Boyd, the physical and Queen's cross-country coach, as they recount their favorite interviews from the year, which, of course, we'll play parts of for you. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Twitter and Instagram, a Tracky Radio production. Adam Stacey has done an incredible amount for track and field in Canada through his website, tracky.ca. It's a hub of communications for runners across the country, providing message boards, registration, results, and a whole lot more. Here's his pick for his favorite interview of 2018. Adam Stacy here. First off, Michael, congrats on surpassing your 100th episode in 2018. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to each and every one of them. If I had to pick a favorite, the interview with Alex Sear comes to mind. I was able to read his book, Runners of the Niche, before your interview and found it really interesting to hear him discuss the process behind his work. There are a lot of talented individuals in the Canadian running scene, and yourself, Michael, and Alex are certainly both high on that list. All the best in 2019. So one of the things that I really got from your book, um, one of the overarching themes, I guess you could say, is that that constant battle uh, within a cross-country runner, the whole self uh, versus team sort of thing. And, and it's a theme that, that develops throughout the entire book. And uh, you see building and and maybe some, I don't know, progressions of, of thoughts on, on that sort of thing. Tell me what, describe your, describe your own, you know, evolution on your thoughts on, on that whole theme as you're writing the book and, and as you're living that season. Well, um, I guess for me, uh, it, it was kind of writing from a unique, uh, I guess, a vantage point because, you know, I wanted to write a good story. I wanted it to be interesting, but at the same time, you know, I was super invested in one, the team's doing and two, my own doing. Um, which I guess is kind of common for a cross-country runner. I think running essentially is, at first, an individual sport. You can run by yourself. You don't need anyone to, to go out for a run with. You can you can do it on your own. Um, but, you know, when when people get together, when the CIS or the U Sports roll, uh, rolls around, it, it becomes a team thing, right? So um, I guess for us, because there were so many competitive guys in the conference, it became almost a conflict of interest, you know, in that 
do you want to peak for the conference championship without, you know, telling anyone and kind of having your own little secret training plan? Um, or are you really going to, you know, do it for the team and try to peak at U sports and maybe sacrificing that individual glory? And I think that's something that comes with maturity, but I can definitely say that all of us, um, while we did value our, our individual goals, um, I think the, the goal to do well as a team came first. You know, the, there's all these stories about uh, workouts where you guys were just battling each other, and that kind of speaks more to the individual glory sort of thing. In the meantime, though, you had, you know, these these kind of wise characters, um, your coach being one, uh, Steven, who is, is kind of a minor character, he pops in and out, you know, really enforcing that, you know, the big goal here is the team victory. You, you got to pull together, you got to pull for your team. I, I have to wonder, while you were writing all this, was there some sort of, you know, almost self-awareness or whatever, like, okay, well, this is, this is coming from these, from these really smart people that, that I trust, but I still want to win, you know, was, was there that self-awareness involved? A bit, and I think uh, more so because a lot of the writing happened after the season was finished, right? So when you're in the season and things are happening and you're writing as you go, you're really invested in what's going on, and um, it may be difficult to, to notice, you know, where those wise comments lie and which one, which comments to, to, to take seriously and take to heart. Um, but, you know, when you're a few months removed and, you know, some for some chapters, almost a year removed, it's almost easier to write there, like um, hindsight 2020, really. Um, but yeah, had I had I written all of it during the season, which I thought I would do <laughs> naively, um, but <clears throat> that wasn't the case. Um, it may have been harder to remove myself from the action. You know, I was trying to pull, you know, see if there's any lessons or, or anything that, that I could take forward from, from reading this. But one thing that, that I guess I really noticed, and it was almost on different levels, is you writing about your team just kind of reinforced to me that running is chaos. Uh, you know, whether it be the the second last chapter, which I'm, I'm not going to ruin for anyone who hasn't read it, which is just, <laughs> you know, this pure chaos. But like, even at the beginning, you know, you have guys in that top group who have, uh, I would say, almost more more talent than, you know, willing to to work hard. And then you have guys like like Warren, who, you know, is, is just a pure workhorse, no talent. Um, you know, like, it doesn't matter what these people are putting in, what they get is what they get out of it. I don't know if that makes sense. But there's this whole pure chaos uh, thing going on with running it. I don't know. Is that something that, that crossed your mind while you're writing? Um, yeah, uh, and and more so as I get older. Um, I think you know you mentioned Warren and you mentioned some other guys with more talent or, or whatever. And I can say that <laughs> I'll be the first one to say. But Warren will be the first one to admit that he didn't have the talent. That uh, yeah, he had the the hard working talent for sure. And he he'll take that one and um, he'll um, he'll attest to that. Um, but uh, I think you know everyone is kind of given a different set of skills and by skills um i mean a lot you know there's the physiological skills there's the ability to not get injured the ability to stay consistent um so i guess in that chaos the, the thing i'm learning now uh is the best thing to do is to not compare yourself or your career your trajectory to others trajectory because you know everyone has it differently and even yourself from year to year you know you can put in the exact same amount of work from one year to the next and get totally different results. And um, 
a lot of people use the cliche, you know, running is uh, you get out of it what you put into it. And I kind of don't really buy into that. A lot of people work very hard. And at the end, usually those who succeed are the ones who are more talented and those who stay healthy. Um, and, you know, if you're lucky to be both, you'll probably have a pretty lengthy and successful running career. You know, I just, I love the the characters and, and what they each brought to the story. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I just mentioned it, but uh, but Warren was a character that, you know, I really gravitated to. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the traits that he bought, but brought. But, you know, I couldn't help but see myself uh, as, as a bit of a cow sometimes, you know, someone who is a bit of a hothead, someone who wants to go on their own. Um, <laughs> You know, it's 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 one of those things where I think we could find a little bit of each character uh, in ourselves. I have to know, you know, is there any embellishment there? And, um, you know, did, when you were writing this, did you kind of think, uh, you know what, this character I think is, is going to be really popular or, you know, maybe this character won't come across quite as well with words. You really have to meet this person. Um, well... There's a bit of embellishment. I'll be, I'll be honest, full disclosure, right? Like, um, you do really want to highlight the characters of each, of each person um, because they're so unique. Um, but there wasn't as much embellishment as I thought there may end up being. You know, as I started writing and just, you know, writing down the stories of, of our workouts, our races, things in between, um, I realized wow, you know, I don't really have to add much to these guys because they are characters in themselves. Like, you know, Warren is someone that not only um, in the book people will gravitate towards, but someone in real life people will gravitate towards. Um, and, you know, Cal was, was a guy who was super determined in his own way. Everyone kind of had their their thing. You know, I can go on and on. And, and the funny part is, you know, so most of these guys are my best friends as well. So, um while I was, you know, you know, writing their characters down, I also had to keep in mind, you know, I got to be respectful to, to these people, you know, at the end of the day, it's those relationships with them that matter most. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was a weird fine line to, to, you know, tiptoe because the book is nonfiction. So I had to remain as truthful as, as, as possible. You know, with a, a lot of writing, there's, you know, a storyboard, there's an outline going into this. Um, you know, you mentioned that that it took you, you know, months and and uh, you know years uh, to write this thing. However, when you started it, you had no idea how it was going to finish. That that had to bit throw you for a bit of a loop, no? Oh yeah, um, and I and I write it in I think my my uh, prologue. Um, I really didn't know where it was going when I started. Really, the way it started was, you know, my coach, Bernie Chisholm, asked me if I wanted to uh, just write up a few blogs about the races and, and the workouts and just, you know, to have some kind of keepsake at the end of the season. And um, I really didn't think that it would get to that point. So when the CIS or the, I guess, yeah, it was U Sports already at the time when the, the last U Sports race happened uh, and, and, you know, ended the way it did, uh, you know, I kind of had to build the story up towards that. And I guess at the end, it was just, I, I made my, I gave myself a goal to be honest um, throughout the story and what would happen would be what would happen. Now, um, winning the championship would have made it amazing. Uh, whether we did or not, I'm not going to reveal. So you can either <laughs> read the book or uh, check Tracky. <laughs> this year, we saw the release of Runners of the Niche a book documenting a cross-country season at St. Francis Xavier University told from the perspective of team member Alex Sear. 
It's a fantastic book that I highly recommend, and we asked Alex what his favorite Terminal Mile interview was from this year. Hey everyone, this is Alex Sear. I'm the author of Runners of the Niche, and I currently run with the Windsor Lancers. Um, I think my favorite interview this year uh, for the Terminal Mile was the one with the recent one with Brogan McDougal, Clive Morgan, and Connor Black. First, I want to send a shout out to Clive for uh, being incredibly solid uh, in the organization of our cross country nationals. And secondly, a shout out to Brogan for being equally as solid on the course. Uh, but I think the favorite part of my interview uh, was Connor's. Connor was dealing with plantar fasciitis. He had to overcome adversity to become the U Sports champion for the first time. And I think a story like that is worth telling. And uh, knowing what Connor had to go through mentally and, and physically and, and what uh, was behind the performance was very interesting to me. And um, it, was, it was great to find a lot more. As a fellow U Sports uh, runner, Connor is someone I look up to. And it was great to find out more about his process. Um, one small piece of criticism, Connor compares himself to Milan Lucic as a hockey player. Connor, I don't think you have the nose to pull it off. Um, that's a compliment, not an insult. Uh, if anything, I'll give you more of a Patrice Bergeron, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> uh, Michael, thank you for everything you do um, within our sport. Uh, for for um, shedding light on it and growing it. Um, here's to another great year of running in 2019. All right, so I think it's it's apt that we talk about U Sports, but before we get to that, I think we should really set this thing up by talking about what happened two weeks before. Two weeks before was the the Ontario Conference Championship. Uh, it was held in London, Ontario. I was there snapping some pictures, sending some tweets out, that sort of stuff. And I bumped you into you on the course. Now, you weren't running the race. You had twisted your ankle. And what I saw that day um, was an athlete who is still so dialed in, so you know, like so in touch with that race. And what I saw was someone who was incredibly disappointed to not be on that course. Maybe you can kind of clarify, like, where, where was your head at when, when we were talking and, and maybe how did that mood evolve, you know, as the results came in and, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, so we talked, uh, I think we talked right after the gun went off and my head was, it, it was in a funny place because, you know, watching my guys get on the line and seeing all the the competitors beside them, you know, they got the music going. Uh, It was hard for me to keep a a straight face because, you know, as much as I, I wanted to be out the line um, and I had to keep it together for my teammates, it it was still very emotional. Um, But I knew I had to keep it together for them. Um, And I think as, as the results came pouring in near the end of the race, um, you know, I, I really, I, I had to, it was, it was tough. You know, I, I can't even really put it in words right now because, you know, being, being their captain and, and being their number one scorer in the past, it was just, it was a really hard thing to do. Um, and before the race, we had a meeting with the team and, and, you know, all I could really tell them to fire them up was, um, you know, you don't have to, I don't expect you guys to go out there and run for anybody because, you know, telling somebody to run for somebody else is it's kind of bogus. But I said, if you want to run for somebody, you can run for me because I'm pissed I'm not going to be out there with my best friends. So, oh, for sure, for sure. And you know, over the next couple of weeks, there's there's a lot of speculation as to as to what was wrong and and 
whether you were going to be on, on the line or not. And, and I think there was quite a bit of question. Um, you know, when, when did you know that you'd, you'd be on that line? When was it 100% sure that you'd be racing the, you know, the, the U sport championships? We, we knew that I would be on the line, um, basically the weekend of OU's. The rate, the reason we didn't race me at OU's was because it was such a risk to race me at OU's that we didn't know if I'd be recovered in time, uh, to race U sports. Um, it was kind of just a big question mark, you know, do we race myself in that 10 K on a course that's, uh, pretty uneven to begin with. And then how smashed up do I get? Like, do I only have one big effort left in me basically? So we knew not racing me at OU's I'd be on the line at U sports. Um, in, uh, we, like I did the pre-comp at OU's and I knew it wasn't looking it wasn't looking likely that I was going to get on the line. And that's kind of when the therapist stepped in, gave their opinion and Dave made the final call. Like, you know, we, we need to save you. We need, we can't smash you up because we're putting you on the line in two weeks. So it was known OUA weekend that I was going to be back out there. And, and Alex stepped up to the plate, uh, one of our first year rookie guys. And, and he knew all well that, you know, he was just filling in for the weekend and, and he went out there and he did a he did a great job for his first OUA cross country. So it was it was cool to see him do that. It was it was awesome that he had that understanding too. So you arrive up in up in Kingston for for the big dance for for the U Sport Championship. Uh, up there, man, the the conditions they were something else. Like the the course is great. The course I, I think runs runs pretty fast. I mean, there's a couple tricky parts on there, but it it runs pretty fast. But that wind, that wind. How did how did you deal with that wind, and how did you you deal with the the cold conditions that day? You know, how did you prepare for that? I was pumped that it was it was the day that it was. We got up in the morning, and all got dressed to go out and get coffee, and we're walking to get coffee, and it's it's windy as heck out there. It's cold, and I was like, you know, this is perfect because um, I knew right away that I could just chill out for for 5k even longer um because nobody was getting away in that wind like it is a fast course the fort runs really fast but the wind was just brutal so you know based off preseason results i just thought you know if i'm just hanging out like nobody's going to be way off the front that i won't be able to catch them so i was i was actually pretty excited about the weather and with like in in terms of keeping warm um you know just pick the appropriate layers i think some guys in cross are you know scared to to wear a long sleeve underneath or or wear half like i know some guys don't like wearing half tights but like i i don't see any reason not to bundle up if you have to and uh, we had vaseline at the line so you know we're lubing that on our lower half and so it, it was no big deal uh for sure for sure you know it was it was interesting, um, you know, from from the TV truck where I was. I probably didn't get all the view that I that I wanted to. I kind of got to see what what everyone else got to see in the in the a very tight shot of of the front pack, and and in that way, you were kind of, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say that you were super visible for for most of it. Maybe talk about your strategy going into that race and and how the execution went. Yeah. So. Um... You know, ideally, back in August, when I was trying to visualize 
the ideal race execution on November um, November the tenth. Yeah, it was the tenth. Um, that was I wanted. You know, I wanted to lead right off the front. I wanted to get into really good aerobic shape, and I wanted to just lead off the front. But given the circumstances and my lead in, I knew that my best chance to take the win would be uh, leaving it to a kick and kicking down the chute. So it was essentially just me biding my time and not taking any of the wind. Uh, Like I said, I didn't think anybody was going to be off the front. So if I came through two and a half uh, or even 5K and I was in the top 20, then that was fine. Um, I just needed to make sure that I wasn't burning too much energy off the hop and I was, I had my kick for later. So, uh, so yeah, I just, I went out and truthfully the first loop, I was just running right within myself. I wanted to come through two and a half and like even, even 5k laughing. And, uh, and that was the plan. And I, right around 5k, I actually found my, right when we were coming through 5k, I found myself at the lead of the chase pack and I was feeling very good at that point. And I looked, I looked back because I was at the front and I thought, you know, I need to tuck in. We're going to be coming around. I need to get out of the wind. So I gave a glance back and it didn't look like anybody was right on me. And those that were a few meters off of me were looking like they were laboring a bit. So I had to make a split second decision. You know, do I, do I pump the brakes or do I make a quick surge up to the front pack, even though I thought it was still kind of early to get up in, in that lead pack. But I decided that I'd jump up and, and it was a really good decision. Cause I, you know, I jumped up quick. I got up there. It wasn't like they were rolling, uh, too hot for me. And I just tucked in behind those six guys that were up front. You know, heading into that race, uh, there was a lot of talk about you know, guys like your teammate Mark Patton, uh, you know, Sergio from from the Mac team, uh, you know, like uh, Angus Rawling, Russell Pennock, a lot of guys. I mean, like, U Sports is, is really, really deep right now. I don't think I need to tell you that. Considering the fact that, that you went into this race with, um, you know, maybe not the most amount of training that, that you ever have had, you know, what kind of what kind of mind state did you have to put yourself into to say, okay, you know, I can win this if I do this, this, and this? Like, how did you get yourself psychologically ready to take that win? Yeah, so, yeah, I think um, the U sport is is a lot deeper than it has been in the past. I, I think so in the past. Um, but getting my head ready... I didn't think about anybody else in that race. I didn't care what other people were doing. I didn't care. Like I knew, I knew the results that they had, but I I didn't care. And I didn't, I didn't bother myself with thinking, you know, how prepared somebody else or so-and-so was. That was the first thing. And the second thing was, um, not taking so much stock in indicators. So, you know, workouts or, um, mileage, you know, a number on a page that you just put in on a week, because really all those indicators are doing for you is taking away some of the uncertainty um, that goes into a race, because that's all that a race is, is um, it's uncertainty. There's never complete certainty that somebody's going to go out there and win. Um, you can look at indicators and they can give you, they can take away some of that uncertainty and that in itself can take off some of the pressure 
and put some people at ease. But I didn't have to buy. I sh- I didn't have anything to buy into that because, you know, I was doing a lot of my my uh, training in the pool, and I hadn't been I hadn't done a big workout on foot in probably a month, like a full full workout. So it really just came down to believing in my ability. And the biggest thing was reminding myself that I'm a gamer. And I was thinking, you know, when I was in the pool, it was just visualizing some of my my past successes. One that I really looked to and I, I relive a lot was the uh, 2017 U Sports 3K, well, 2800 <laughs> indoors, <laughs> where, um, you know, Jack myself and Antoine were, were kicking pretty hard that last 800. Um, you know, it, it ended up with me in a fourth place, but the, the 2800 meter race brought a lot of uh, confidence in my ability. And, and that's what I was looking to do. I was just looking to take stock in my ability, reminding myself I'm a gamer and, and just, and just believing in that. Well, I mean, looking at at that race, there was so many storylines going in. Um, I mean, there was the fact that you came second uh, individually last year uh, at last year's you know eSport Cross Country Championship. Uh, there was the fact that that you were you know pretty injured all throughout the summer with with some planter issues and that sort of stuff. But there is also the fact that that you were kind of you know, like this, this is your last year. This was your, this was your last, last chance to, to get that individual title. What were the big factors for you? Like what was, what was going through your mind, uh, you know, in preparation for this race and for this race? I think it was just, it was just reminding myself that, you know, like the five, the five years building up to it, um, so so much had happened, um, you know. Like there was there was some really good things uh, along the way, and there was some really not so good things. And I just I think you, you know, and the people involved too. Um, you know, my therapist who had been through it all along. Um, I mean, Brenda Scott Thomas, my physio, was one of the first people who I gave a huge hug at the end of the shoe. Like you know, my therapist, my coaches. Um, you know, Griffin legends like Aaron Hendricks and Ross Proudfoot and, and Nixon and Borsma. You know, I, I was picturing um, Hen- Hendricks crossing the line, um, CIs on our home course, or, you know, all the people involved and, and just the road involved. Like it wasn't a smooth path. And I think that's what gave it its character. And I, I think there wasn't any specific thing that was reminding me it was just like a culmination of events and just thinking about the journey. And I think that's what's, I mean, you can get all philosophical about it, but I think that's what's special about the sport is just everything that happens along the way, good or bad. It's, it really, it makes it into a story. Jeff Costin, the Terminal Miles in-house run pundit, has been with the show since day one. His mix of astute observation and logical mindset makes his voice one that needs to be heard in the running community. Of course, he's also a fantastic runner himself and a good person all around. Hi, my name is Jeff Costin. My favorite episodes of The Terminal Mile are always the ones that I'm on because I get to talk to Michael, then relive it after the fact. But to not make it all about me, the best episode of 2018 was number 103 because it corresponds with the most important story of 2018. Michael interviewing Cam Levins after he took down the Canadian marathon record at Scotia. 
Hearing the ups and downs and then a play-by-play -play of the execution was exactly what makes this show special. Thanks and looking forward to more great shows in 2019. So I, I think to start, we should paint a little bit of a picture. Um, you know, it was, it was a very cold morning in, in, in Toronto. Uh, from, from where I was in, in the photography pit, uh, you know, your face pops up on this giant screen and, you know, you're about 200 meters out. There was a little bit of silence at first, which kind of confused me but you know as soon as people realized just what was happening really the, the crowds erupted and you know you came around the corner you cross that line and I just you know there's there's those pictures that have been popping up you know all around the web you know they're on the front of newspapers and that sort of stuff just this look of pure triumph and, and pure elation um what the cameras didn't really catch was what happened in the minutes after where I I don't know I think your your facial expression changed a little bit and you know I know in the media pit you were talking about you know it just being very very overwhelming you know given that there's been almost two weeks now since that moment can you really describe what was going on in your head you know in in those minutes after the marathon finished? Uh yeah I, I think um. Sorry. First of all, thank you for having me on the show, uh, <laughs> on your podcast. I, uh, I, oh, I'm very interesting questions sorry, that I, uh, but I just wanted to thank you for being on the show. Oh, pleasure's um, all mine, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, th I think a lot of what was going through my mind at that point is uh, kind of just accepting what happened. There had just been. We, uh, my family and my wife and I talked a lot about this and uh, there's been, had been a lot of time training and getting ready. And it just felt like everything had come together at the right time before this race. And I was prepared to prepared for things to go well. And it just, it just happened. You know, it was kind of this acceptance like, wow, it actually all came together at the right time. You know, I wanted to do well in Canada in this, uh, marathon take on the Canadian record. And it just, just felt the like the culmination of so much so many things that like happened beforehand and uh yeah it was it was overwhelming and emotional um having my entire family there and just it, it just felt like it'd been a really long time coming and a lot of work leading up to it and uh, it was <laughs> just thrilling I mean, there, there's, there's a ton to break down there. Uh, you know, I want to start with, with the family who you mentioned, and you know that that was just so cool. You know, I, I can only think that this would happen. You know, at a CRS race or you know at a race in Canada, but you know, they're they're beside me. You know, in in their own little sectioned off area, right beside the finish line was you know your wife. Uh, your mom, your dad. Uh, I'm I'm told uh, your coach was was pretty nearby there as well, but they were right right beside in a very restricted area as well too. W was that all planned? Did you know about that? And and man, that had to be something special when you crossed the line. Um, I, I guess they kind of like broke into the restricted area to, <laughs> to get where they were. Uh, funny enough, so um, I'm certain that was not planned because I think they got in a little bit of trouble for it, uh, but. It was it was great having them there. I mean, I, I I hardly knew what was going on after the race. You know, I just I just knew that they were there, and uh, I was glad that they got to be some of the first people that I saw um, and uh, celebrate with. And I, I think 
um, the race wanted to have my family nearby if, you know, if I ended up breaking the record. So, uh, you know, that could happen and um, the media could experience us, <laughs> us celebrating together as well. But uh, I am so just so thankful that I uh, got to share that moment with them because, I mean, they went through all the moments beforehand, you know, they, they, uh, they went through all the hard stuff. So I'm glad they can enjoy the fun part too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's been, a, I'm, I'm going to say it, it's, it's been a rough couple of years for you, you know, since, uh, <laughs> yeah. since the, the national championships, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you follow along with, with what's on the boards. I really hope not. Um, because you know, there hasn't been a lot of positivity there. You know, it's, it's just been, you know, people calling, you know, the demise of your career for years. Uh, you know, I, I think the phrases, you know, reports of my death have been, have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> right. But yeah, you, yeah. Uh, sorry, keep going. I, I mean, like, like I got to wonder about that because, you know, there was so many people who had no belief in you coming back and at a certain point, you have to wonder how you yourself, you know, were able to scrounge that together. Because let me tell you, the marathon is not an easy mental race. How are you able to put it together like that? Um, you know, over the last couple of years here, um, it felt like after surgery, it, it felt like starting at zero. You know, I don't know how else to put it. My, my first bit of running, um, uh, back from it was five minutes, like a couple times a week, and that that was difficult. It was difficult for me to run that amount. And uh, my first workout was, um, I mean, I've said this uh, a few times before, but um, it was attempting to do a mile and a half tempo, and falling off the pace, and and not very like a very very difficult pace. This uh, especially before surgery, but even something that I didn't think would be astronomically difficult afterwards you know i still couldn't handle that and so it was just it was a long climb back out of that and you know every few months i'd often get to this point where it felt hopeless and you know my, my wife or my family would have to kind of pull me out of it and uh, i mean i say or my family especially my wife because she was there always you know and um, let me know that hey like you're not where you want to be but look where you were and look where you are now you've moved forward and uh, you just have to be thankful for that. And um, I, I guess my point being is it wasn't always me that was overcoming it. You know, it was my family uh, helping me overcome it. And um, getting into the actual marathon race, that's that's the easy part for me. I mean, I've always been a competitive guy and competitive racer. And I like to think that if I am prepared to, I can uh, step up to the plate and take whatever pressure or whatever is there. Um, and I mean, for most of that race, it was easy for me to stay focused in. And uh, um, the marathon itself is easy enough to split up um, by basically bottle stations is how I do it. Uh, it really divides up the race well. And um, I really just had to like zone out for most of it, then buckle down the last 10 or 12 kilometers. And by that point, it's a race that I've done a million times before. 
you know that that leads to a, another question maybe a little more short term is you know like in in the big workouts uh leading up you know there it can often be a lot of doubt especially going into that debut marathon was there a point in your training where you know you finished a workout you know just knocked it out of the park and you said yeah no i think i think i think i can do this and i think i can do it at this pace um, I did a uh, marathon workout, well, sorry, marathon workout, all of them are marathon workouts, and I did a long run um, uh, back in Portland a little bit before my Philadelphia half marathon um, in the middle of September, and I ran it um, at like 520 pace for 24 miles, and I finished the last four hard, and um, I mean, I still would go on to do better workouts after that, but that was my first step of like, Oh, like that, you know, that really wasn't like that difficult. I'm actually getting like closer to the pace I potentially want to take on. Like, yeah, I, I'm going to be able to do this. You know, like I, like I'm, I think the 520 in itself is maybe close to 220 or 219 ish, something in that for the marathon. And so it was like, well, you know, if I can do that in practice, like surely I can handle a better pace in the race. And it's not like I just, you know, completely, uh, like, uh, went into the well to do that sort of workout. It's just, like, it, it just felt natural. I, by that point, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I've got another six weeks. I'm going to be, I'm going to be good to go. Now I'm going to jump in here quickly. In the preparation for Cam's Marathon, he reached out to Reed Coolset, the Canadian Marathon phenom, as well as Ryan Vale, a 210.55 marathoner in Portland. Now, I mistakenly had heard that he had reached out to Ryan Hall. This wasn't the case, but Cam expanded on what he had heard. Ryan has been great uh, the last couple of years here just for general training advice and just seeing what he's done in his builds. Um, but particularly what I've reached out to both of them about um, has been more related to the actual taper the last couple of weeks, um, making sure I was not doing too much, too little. I just was really kind of nervous and felt particularly inexper inexperienced with that. And I just wanted to get sort of as many viewpoints as I could to make sure, like, at that point, I felt I was really fit. And I just wanted to make sure I got to the starting line as prepared as I could be and, you know, did everything, everything right. Um, and Reed is, is really interesting in that Beyond that question, I feel like he answered so many other questions through other interviews that he did. Like, it felt like every interview someone asked him, oh, like, if you could give advice to Cam or like, what do you think about him debuting? And I'm like, I'm sorry that my topic is hijacking all your interviews, <laughs> first of all. But thank you for all this advice from afar. You know, I, it's actually really useful. He often would say different things. And I'm like, you know, I, I've gotten like a whole bunch of good info from just not even actually directly asking you just other people asking in my stead essentially um so, but yeah no both both guys are great on top of a lot of other people but those uh, are my big sources of information close to the race especially you know speaking of, of marathoners that that you were chatting with um you, you know i heard you mention on on rob watson show that um jerome drayton actually gave you a call which is I mean, the, the 
for historians of the sport, you know, for people who have followed along with him, that's uh, that's really something. He seems to be like a real introvert and, and someone who's really hard to get a, a hold of. What what did he have to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a really fascinating guy, and it was, I mean, it was a huge honor for him to call and want to chat with me. Uh, I'm fairly certain he still follows the sport decently. He seemed to know a good amount of uh, training, like the type of training that I did. Because his main conversation is like, hey, this is what else I think you should try and do with your training. It's like, this is kind of what I did. So he's just giving me advice, which is, which is awesome. Like, uh, and it's just, it's yeah, it's incredibly fascinating to know the sort of stuff that he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, but on top of just, you know, congratulations. But that, that was what most of our conversation was, um, which I, I appreciate. He was kind of just like down to business with that. And that was, it was, it was awesome. It, it was really, really cool. And he seems like a, very very uh neat person that's for sure you know a lot of the narrative um you know post your marathon was was you know referencing the kind of it's it's almost become a bit of running folklore you know the the huge huge mileage that you were putting in in college and you know people were, were drawing that line between you know, he was he was running close to 200 miles a week. So therefore, obviously, he'd be he'd be really good at the marathon. Um, I don't know. The, the way I saw it, though, is that, you know, you were running that mileage, not to run that mileage, but to, you know, chase an end of running faster, of, of being faster on the track and that sort of stuff. So that's why when I see, you know, the 209.25, I think... I'm thinking that that's not quite the end for you. That's not the end game here for you. What are you hoping to achieve in the marathon before you, you know, eventually hang up the shoes? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, I, I like to hope that my debut is not what my PR ends up being for my entire career. <laughs> um, and I mean, I definitely felt good entering this race to where if I had entered basically any other competition that wasn't a marathon, I probably would have just went out with the leaders and tried to win the race. Like I, I felt really, really fit in that regards. I mean, like, um, but with a marathon, there's a lot of unknown. And I really felt like I wanted to get in my first one to where, um, where I didn't have any like questions of what it would be like after that. And I mean, I, I've been asked before, like what do i want to get out of this first marathon uh or out of now you know obviously it's done now but what i wanted to get out of it and um my big thing that i always said was i wanted to walk away uh with the desire to do more afterwards with that great experience and i think um with you know going out conservatively running my own race getting a feel for the race and ultimately enjoying it is that desire, you know, I've, I've had a good one and it makes me want to do more, you know, immediately. And I think going out really aggressively and, you know, perhaps not even finishing if that, that happened, uh, can really put a damper on that and really potentially almost stay with you in like a state of like mental scarring. You know, it's like suddenly you have a fear associated with the event instead of a joy associated with it. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that being said, I know the question was more, how fast do I think I can go? I mean, ultimately, I don't know. I, I think the next one I do, 
I want to have the opportunity to just go out and race it, see how I can challenge up front in whatever it is. Um, and ultimately sort of see where that puts me next. You know, I, I think no matter what, I just want to, like I wanted to be on the track competitive at the event with the best in the world. And while 209 is a great time, it's it's not to that point yet. We, we know what the world record is. <laughs> and, you know, it's well away from that still. And, I mean, if I want to be competitive at an international level outside of that, I mean, I have to be more like 204, 205. So, I mean, I think ultimately I need to get down into that range. And when you get down to that range, I don't know where the limits become if you're able to do something like that. Earlier in 2018, we produced a series called Something in the Water. It was an in-depth look into the highly successful seven Olympians in Rio, University of Guelph, and Speed River track and field teams. The whole thing was released through Sidious Mag, and I'd highly suggest you check that out at SidiousMag.com. Now, earlier this week, I put the call out for people to share their favorite interviews of the year, and I heard this from Steve Boyd, coach of the physical group with athletes such as Lindsay Tessier, Eric Bang, Jeff Costin, Will Norris, and Claire Sumner. He's also the coach of the Queen's cross-country and track and field teams. Though it doesn't count as a Terminal Mile interview, I thought your conversation with Reed Coolset for the Speed River Project was equally good and for similar reasons. Those similar reasons being in an earlier statement on straightforward, concise talk without the usual cliches from another interview with Matt Hughes. This is part of that interview. Reed Coolsat has been one of the prominent faces in the Canadian marathon running scene virtually since he took his first crack at the event just under a decade ago. He's the fastest active Canadian marathoner, ranking number two all time, and he's made the Olympics twice in the event, and you'd better believe he's not done yet. He's also an interesting case in that he's been with the river virtually since his inception, and that's how we began our conversation. Yeah, I did. I mean, when I showed up in 98, David showed, he just was there for one year. He started in 97. Um, but I didn't know much about running in 98. So all the stuff that I was learning and doing, um, I didn't know any better anyway. So um, it, it was really organic and it just evolved. And I can remember still in the summers of, probably like summer 98, summer 99, finishing a track workout and then just getting a soccer ball out and playing a game of soccer as cool down. Um, we, we'd never do that anymore. You know, we, you know, now it's drills and, uh, you know, getting our cool down and like easy jog and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, we didn't do drills for, for a couple of years. Our day was running our core sessions that were, you know, pretty simple. And, um, yeah, but at the same time I was learning a lot. I remember the first the first workout I showed up to at the University of Guelph, we, uh, we were doing a tempo run. And I'd only just come from my high school background, so I was just used to doing a small little run, sitting in a circle, doing stretches, and then you know doing the hard part. And um, I remember at the time I had tearaway pants. They were kind of cool in the 90s, right? So uh, I had those on, and uh, I thought we were just going to do you know like a 10-minute run. And we were, you know, 20 minutes away from the university, and and Dave was doing the workout too. He was he was quite fit then, um, and then he was I forget what he said, but it was just like okay, now we're just doing tempo, and it might have been I don't know 20 minutes, 30 minutes of tempo. Uh, I remember the loop that we went around, um, and he picked a big square on purpose because there was always a bunch of people that came out at the beginning of the year that 
um, like weren't really going to stick around. They didn't, Dave didn't want them to get lost and be able to find their way home. So yeah, we did this big, basically the Billy Taylor loop. And I just remember like ripping my tearaways off and like throwing my shirt off to the side, like, oh wow, it's on. Like, we're like you know, there's no stretching circle. Yeah, so like it was just a big eye opener for me in the beginning, um, coming from a, uh, just a high school program, not really doing much club stuff. Um, so everything seemed new. I mean, there's there's stories about how you know every year you're taking you know tens of seconds off off your 5k PB uh, while you, while you were in Guelph, and uh, I think part of that's been mythologized over the over the years and stuff like that. But you know, does part of it come from that? You know, not coming in with a whole lot of knowledge. So I imagine the buy-in was a lot better. Uh, you know, with with Coach Dave, but also just not having some of those stimuluses that that weren't really common at the time, but him throwing them at you. Yeah, I mean, tempo workouts um, got me really fit. Uh, and I, you know, we hadn't really, I had never really done like serious tempo workouts. Um, and yeah, I was undertrained coming into University of Guelph, especially when you look at a full year. Um, I, I had never run, you know, for 10 months, 11 months of the year before. I was usually four months, two months of cross country and two months of track and field and the rest was skiing and skateboarding. Um, so even just running more, I was gonna improve and then getting more specific and then get into an environment where there was a lot of people who were better than me, um, a lot of people with more experience and who had lofty goals. Uh, just everything, you know, together, I uh, was able to, yeah, take, yeah, I mean, I think from yeah, 98 to basically, 2007, I pretty much took 10 or 15 seconds off on average of my uh, my 5K time each year. You know, you were a really accomplished 5,000 meter runner. Uh, you went to FISU and you won a silver medal, if, I, if I'm yeah. not mistaken in that. And, uh, you know, taking a look at that, I'm sure people thought that you would, you know, you'd be the 5K guy for the rest of your career. So I guess it it came as a lot as a big surprise uh, when when you and Eric decided to make that switch over in 2009. Now Dave kind of alludes to it at the beginning of the show, talking about how Alan Brooks played, you know, a huge part in, in you guys making the switch over and stuff like that. But uh, you know, let, what was some of the context going into that? What made you you know really buy into the switch? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I always knew I would run the marathon, um, even like when I was younger because I didn't have any speed. Um, so I, every time I moved up in distance, I got better. The reason actually why I stuck around the 5K and 10K as long as I did is because I was improving each year. Um, and so I was hungry to, you know, to get more. And then, uh, then as 2008 approached, I thought it was too risky to switch to the, uh, to the marathon. Um, in 2007, I had to be standards in both the 10K and the 5K. I was about, I think, 0 0.02 off of the 5k so I was right there um, you know I ended up getting injured in 2008 and then when I got back into running in 2009 my speed workouts were far from where I wanted them to be and my tempo stuff was like you know pretty much where I had left off um, I'd done a lot of cross training and I kind of had this idea in my head that I should do the marathon in 2009 and um, perhaps qualify for the world world champs and this was uh less than two months before the ottawa marathon 
I went to Dave's office and I, I pitched him this idea. Um, and the funny part is, is he had had the same idea, but was wasn't sure how he would like you know <laughs> like approach the subject with me. And I was the same way. We were both apprehensive. And uh, then once we realized that we were both pitching the same idea to each <laughs> other, like, all right, it's on. And I think it was about six weeks before the Ottawa Marathon. And then we just decided, you know, let's yeah try to run. Um, we, I, I, I think the uh, standard was 218, but I thought I was going to have to run about 216 to qualify for the for the world champs. And uh, it turned out that my, my debut in Ottawa, which was 217.09, ended up qualifying for the world champ. So, uh, yeah, we kind of accomplished that goal, and that was the start of my marathon career. You know, I have to think probably after after your first marathon, you, you might not have... I, I don't know when, when you really grabbed onto the title of being a marathoner. Do you remember, like, a specific moment when you're like, I guess I'm not the 5,000 guy anymore. I guess I'm a marathoner now. I, I think it was, like... You know, the second I finished my first marathon, <laughs> and and not even so much in my head, but um, you just get more recognition in the marathon. Mm. Uh, I got a lot more press than I thought I would um, running two seventeen oh nine, and I kept on saying, you know, I kept on saying to my training partners, and like in my head, I'm like, I've run thirteen twenty one and twenty seven fifty six. Those are much better times. <laughs> like, hello, hello, mm-hmm. you know. But um, you know, you go and run thirteen twenty one in a small meet in Belgium. Uh, you know, track fans get it and they know what that means, but the general running public doesn't. Um, you know, 13.21, 14.21, 15.21 gets the same reaction from people, you know, and 2.17 seemed to uh, create a bigger buzz than than anything I had done before. So um, I kind of realized that, yeah, there's a lot, of, a, lot of a, a lot of attention in the marathon. And also after that first one, I thought, you know, if I if, I really, if I'm really able to train for the marathon, I'll be able to improve a lot. Um, 217 it was fine for my first one, but uh, you know, I, I, th- I thought for sure I could get down to 213, 214 um, really quickly. Uh, and then 2010, um, I tried to do, hey, I did a bit of a track season, uh, ended up getting injured, but uh, I really had my first full marathon build up before Scotia, Toronto, um, in 2010 and then I ended up running 211.24 or 23 at yeah, 211.23 so um, yeah given you know a full full build up like I was able to see a bit, a bit more of my potential I want to talk a little bit about um, group dynamics because that Speed River group over the years has just had some of the biggest characters in, in Canadian running in my opinion uh, I mean you had Rob Watson running with you guys for a little bit while, or for, for a little while uh, you have John Mason now uh, Robert Winslow. I I think even people who don't follow the sport, you know, say on the track level, you know, will will know those names just because, like I said, they're they're real characters. What what's that group dynamic? You know, is it is it really encouraging and it makes you want to go to practice? Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, I was, you know, for yeah, for years. I mean, I still am, but like full time runner, um, and especially when workouts were at the end of the day. Um, you know, you kind of like on a workout day, you know, you're sitting around, you're trying to save your energy, you know, not doing too much. And, uh, um, I would look forward to workouts and not just the, you know, the, the grind, but also the warm up and the cool down. Um, you know, just like the laughs that we would have warming up and cooling down or it was hilarious. 
and yeah right back right back in the day from you know we had a like university was fun and then even like right afterwards and i uh i was i was fortunate i always had when i was doing the 5k i always had um a fast 1500 meter guy to 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 get me going on the the quick stuff so it was rich tremaine the beginning and then it was jay canton and then taylor milne um and and those three guys really pulled me through kind of from like 2000 to you know right to 2000 well, I mean, Taylor was training like for a long time, but like at least like when I was focused on the 5K, like right, right through 2008. Um, yeah, and those guys are like, you know, they're, they're funny guys. And uh, yeah, we'd have like 20, 20 guys or whatever on a, on a, on a warm up, and it was like we were just laughing like half the time. So um, it really keeps things light. And, you know, if you're enjoying things and you got a smile on your face, um, you know, you, you can dig a little bit deeper too. You know, I also think of a guy like Eric Gillis, who is is probably one of Canada's most consistent marathoners ever. I mean, the guy could probably run 2.11, fill in the blank here in his sleep. Does he bring that consistency to, you know, practices and, and workouts? Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, Eric, Eric. Uh, I mean, it was like, I mean, I don't train with him so much anymore now that he's out east. Um, you know, this is just in the last year. But as far as a consistent training partner, like, uh, you know, I couldn't really ask for any, any better. Like, you know, when we would often start marathon buildups, you know, he would be like a little bit more fit than me. And then we'd just be like kind of progressing and like never, no one ever really leapfrogged the other guy like much. It was, it was like, okay, he'd have a little bit better workout. I'd have a better workout. Or we'd often just, you know, run side by side and we would just, you know, progress our fitness, um, you know, till race day. And, you know, for him, you know, like our PBs are, you know, what, what's the difference? Like a second, less than a second a kilometer. Like, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's not much. And that's, uh, you know, if you're, especially if you're doing like 10K reps or 5K or whatever, it's, it's like nothing, right? So, um, yeah, it, it, amazing to have Eric as a partner, a uh, training partner all those years. We just, uh, you know, we're able to, to push each other and, you know, hit, levels that we probably wouldn't have been able to do like solo when, when did you find out that he got uh, 10th place in in the olympic marathon was it like as soon as you crossed the line uh yeah yeah i would have yeah i i knew like pretty much right when i crossed the line um yeah that was that was an interesting race because um i started off really slow and i kind of uh, i i found eric um and then actually i found you know a few other guys i knew too like callum hawkins and um some guys i knew like uh, Sondra Moen, who's now like a 205 guy, but yeah, so we were all like kind of running as a pack, and we all caught the uh, the main pack together, and then somewhere around 28k is kind of like when my like injuries were kind of coming back up, and Dave yelled at me, or maybe maybe it's been somebody else, um, somewhere like maybe around 35k that Eric was in like 15th or top 15 or something like that, so. Uh, um, yeah, I, I knew he was having a great one, even while I was suffering the last seven K. So, um, and, and Eric is, uh, you know, he's, he, he, you know, he, he finishes marathon strong. Um, you know, he doesn't, even if he's not speeding up, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't lose much. And, and then in the Olympic marathon, if you're not slowing down much, you're going to pick off a lot of people. So. I already knew he was top 15, 7K to go. So, yeah, I knew he was, was going to have a good one. Now, Steve also mentioned a Matt Hughes interview earlier in that statement. 
It was also a favorite of mine, and I totally suggest that you check it out. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Thanks to all the contributors, track you for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. If you want to find us on the web, you can do so at the Terminal Mile. We're on Instagram and Twitter with that handle. We're also on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and of course, tracky.ca. Again, thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. <laughs> <laughs>